The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Adam, back in May, you found yourself in an interesting situation. Oh, God, I can't believe we're going to do this. (laughs) So you were at a pub in London with your friend. I was. I was at a pub in London with a friend who's visiting from San Francisco. And we're having a beer. And then I get a text from my sister. It said, you're on Subway Creatures. O-M-G. Subway Creatures. Yeah, it's this Instagram feed she and I follow that's just pictures and videos of people caught unsuspectingly doing stupid stuff on the subway. We occasionally text about it when we see something really ridiculous. Until that ridiculous person becomes you. I know. I thought she was kidding. But then she said, look on Instagram. And I looked and there I was. This video of me grimacing down at my phone looking really weird. And the comments on the post were starting to pour in. The one I remember most said, (laughs) texting bitch face. (laughs) That's my sister, Erin. Anyway, you weren't doing anything. You did have a very strange look on your face. People were starting to do memes like what you look like when and we're putting stuff in there. Do you, what do you remember that I was, do you remember anything specific? I remember I was just texting ferociously with this, like, really mean, weird look on my face. Yes. And it was strange because it was a video of you doing that, but then it zoomed in on your face. <laughs> the person was sitting across from you. Okay, so Adam, you're still at the bar in London at this point, texting frantically with your sister. I was. I was freaking out, wouldn't you? What if my coworkers see it? My sister suggested I send Mr. Subway Creature a note. I even had her draft it for me because I was so frazzled. Hi, I noticed I was taped without my knowledge yesterday and posted to your site. Please remove it. And then I hit send. I'm Aki Ito. I'm Adam Satriano. And this week on Decrypted, we're going inside this strange voyeuristic corner of social media where people, including Adam, unwittingly become a source of amusement. It's not an enjoyable place to be, but beyond the embarrassment, the experience taught me a good deal about the changing nature of privacy online. We'll meet Rick McGuire, the 33-year-old who runs Subway Creatures from a New York apartment. He'll tell us about how he got into this strange Instagram world and how he's trying to turn it into a business. In its own little way, my experience demonstrates the tightrope that social media companies are walking right now. Increasingly, companies like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter are being asked to regulate what's appropriate content, what's fake news, what's bad, what's good, what's in between. Do we want to further empower these already very powerful companies to be the editors of our digital lives? Stay with us. 
Okay, so Adam, take us back. You emailed the Subway Creatures guy and you asked him to delete that video of you. It felt like an absolute lost cause. I thought, no way this guy is going to do that. But he actually replied right away and he took it down. I was very surprised, pleasantly so. So I struck up a correspondence with him. Rick's from New Jersey. He played hockey in college. He's actually kind of, sort of, very normal for a guy who creates an Instagram account like this. (laughs) It sounds like you kind of like him now. Uh, I was very curious. Like, how on earth do you come to operate a thing like this? So we're in the famous promenade in Union Square. Tons of things to see out here. Our producer, Pia Gadkari, went to meet Rick. I am a huge people person. Like, I I love people watching. And I obviously started seeing what we all see every day in the New York subway, New York City subway. And, you know, I realized there's not really a platform for this. So I wound up starting a website that featured a lot of the stuff that I saw daily. And before I knew it, it kind of gained traction. People started sending me stuff, and I didn't even have to look for it anymore. It was coming to me. There are more than 600,000 people following the Subway Creatures Instagram account. On top of that, Rick has followers on Twitter and Facebook and a website, too. It's, it's a little voyeuristic. Uh, this content, it's, it's kind of in a category of its own. Um, the the closest, uh, it's just user-generated content that, you know, it's the good part about it is that the content is endless. And there's never going to be an end to it as long as there are smartphones out there where you can record something and have it put up in almost instantly. Let me give you a sense. Crazy haircuts, weird outfits, unusual tattoos, pets. There's owls and peacocks on there. There's also a lot of pictures of people who fell asleep in a strange position and a lot of people who are drunk on the subway. It could be uh, subway performers, uh, people singing. Uh, A lot of the time people have earphones in and they're singing out loud and don't even realize how loud they're being. And, uh, you know, it could be that kind of stuff. So that's how Rick stumbled into this, you know, front row seat to Internet culture. He's a freelance TV producer, so his day job is also related to making stuff people want to watch. I, it's, it's been awesome. It's, it's honestly, I never actually pictured it to get as big as it is right now. But in the world of social media, he can watch the embarrassing content he collects spread, sometimes with frightening velocity. I've had uh, someone uh, send me uh, a video while they were on the train of something. I posted it. While that video was going viral, this person was still sitting across from the person on the train. So technically that person could have seen in real time themselves going viral, which I, when, when you look at the big picture, I think that that is extremely interesting that, that can, something like that can happen nowadays. Rick says one of the first things he does in the morning is check to see what people have sent to post on Subway Creatures. The weirder, the better. For some reason, one of the most popular things that I get sent are people bringing very exotic, strange animals onto the subway. Uh, We had an instance where there was someone who brought a peacock, another person who brought a lizard, uh, a lot of snakes. Rick started Subway Creatures as a website in 2011. 
Today, Instagram is where he has his biggest audience, but he continues to update his website too. Rick has his own rules for what he posts. He rarely features kids, and he doesn't post images or videos of people he thinks might be mentally ill or homeless. For his website, anything else is fair game. That would be like people flashing on the subway, uh, anything that would get pulled down uh, because of discretion would normally go on the website because there are no guidelines on the website. and It's kind of the Wild West on there. But when he posts on Instagram, Rick has to be more selective because Instagram has its own community guidelines that it enforces. Instagram will send a notification. First, they'll pull it down. Then they send a notification saying, due to guidelines on Instagram, we've now pulled the content down. And basically, you get a a warning or a strike against you um, just because if people are repeatedly posting, you know, stuff that's not supposed to be up there, uh, the account the account gets suspended. That hasn't happened to me. Uh, That's why I try to be very careful with what I post because I don't want to get my account suspended for any reasons. And even for power users like Rick, it's tricky navigating those guidelines. He says he doesn't quite understand the rules. For example, Instagram's guidelines say that pretty much any kind of nudity is banned. But Instagram doesn't catch everything. That's the subjective aspect of it, is that I don't know uh, what actually constitutes something as being too explicit. Obviously, if there are people having sex on the train, uh, you'd think that that would would cross a line. However, I posted a video a couple months ago of two Yankee fans coming home from a Yankee game, and it would appear to be having sex on the train. That never got pulled down. How it, then, then to go to the other extreme, uh, there, were, there would be stuff as far as uh, maybe a guy wearing shorts that are a little too short and something's hanging out. That gets pulled down. Or take this example. There was a video that went viral a couple weeks ago. It was from Toronto in the subway. And this woman got into a physical altercation with a man and she was splashing mop bucket water at him. So the guy turned around and picked up the bucket of water and dumped it over her head. So, uh, I mean, it was, a, it was a mutual confrontation. She wasn't getting, you know, other than the water going on her, she wasn't physically being a- abused. Uh, she did have water dumped on her. Uh, that was posted, went super viral. Um, not only my account, but a number of uh, popular accounts posted it. However, it was only my page that it got reported and taken down. Rick says he's still confused about why Instagram didn't just block the clip on every account that had shared it. How come he was singled out? He also said he's tried contacting Instagram a few times, but they've basically never responded to his questions. Now more than ever, Instagram has been a little too sensitive on policing what goes up and what, and what gets uh, taken down. And I think there's a very fine line of uh, policing the content and censoring. So I don't know where that falls, but I think that there needs to be a little more conversation about it. Rick says he acts quickly when people ask for stuff to be taken down. When he was talking to our producer, Pia, he mentioned the time that I contacted him. I took it down immediately. There's... He, he was very uncomfortable with the fact that someone was recording him on the subway, which I don't blame him. And he knows there are a lot of people out there like me, 
people who loved subway creatures until one day they became the ones that were ridiculed on the account. So it's it's one of those catch twenty two situations where I feel like people love the web. They love the website. They love the page. They love every day looking at all the crazy stuff that happens in the subway. However, I think it's a completely different scenario once they are actually the subject of the video. So, you know, it's, it's almost like a love-hate relationship with the page. Of course, that does not stop Rick from doing what he does. He clearly loves this. When Pio was riding the train with him, he spotted a potential quote-unquote creature and got so excited. So here we are at Union Square on the L, and there is a man doing repeated circles, dancing to this music. And it's pretty amazing, to be honest with you. And I wish I, we could film this right now. This is great. I'm actually, I might have to record this. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. You might also think there are rules against people filming each other without getting permission first, but you'd be wrong. I spoke to Albert Gaderi, who's the director of privacy at Stanford Center for Internet and Society. Al says there's more than a century of case law on Rick's side because the people being filmed are in a public space. In 1890, when Justice Brandeis in the U.S. wrote his seminal piece on privacy, he said, what happens in public is public. And that video of you, Adam, that made it onto Subway Creatures, that was taken when you were in a public space. Yeah, I was just on the subway in London, looking like an idiot. (laughs) So Rick was never legally obligated to delete that video of you, even though he agreed to do it anyway. You implicitly consent to be seen. And if someone takes your photograph, you've assumed the risk that that'll happen. Now in a world where everybody is a videographer, everybody is a photographer, everybody is a publisher, um, those notions of, of being uh, obscure in the crowd, the notion of a right to anonymity, uh, to have a different uh, circle around you of privacy in your residential neighborhood versus in a shopping mall, in a stadium where a football game is going are all under rethinking today. Of course, we saw this play out just a couple months ago when some of the white nationalists who were marching in Charlottesville were identified with their full names and even their employers. Uh, Some people said it wasn't right to be naming these individuals who were exercising their right to free speech. And other people were like, well, they were in public. They should have known that there'd be a good chance they'd get outed.
broader context here is that social media companies are facing increasing pressure to act against objectionable material. We've entered a world where everything that can be collected will be collected in the public domain. And the question is, what do we do with that? And, and how do we accept the consequences of that if we do? Or do we regulate it? Until now, social networks like Facebook and Twitter have insisted that it's not their job to be policing what people say. They're just the platforms. With intermediary liability, or lack thereof, the platforms are not responsible for user-generated content. It's impossible for them to review every image and decide, is this a news report or is it an offensive or, or embarrassing newsreel about uh, somebody's personal life? But governments around the world are making it harder for these companies to just stay out of it. In Europe, Germany has called on Facebook to help stamp out hate speech on its platform. And Twitter has said it's deleted hundreds of thousands of accounts to combat extremism. And as we covered in last week's episode of the show, shameless plug, Facebook, Google, and Twitter are now facing a lot of scrutiny over why they didn't do more to stop Russia from spreading misinformation on their platforms. Great episode, by the way. But Albert also talked about the dangers of having our Internet companies more actively police their platforms. Do we want to give them that power? This is such a hard question because one person's fake news is another person's stolen belief. And it's really hard to ask an intermediary to become, whether it be the government or become a platform, to become the arbiter of what's true and not true. There was another person I talked to about this, someone with a lot of experience defending people whose privacy was invaded on the Internet. My name is Erica Johnstone, and I'm a lawyer in San Francisco. I specialize in privacy law. I specialize in representing victims of revenge porn. Revenge porn, by the way, is the sharing of sexually explicit material online without that person's consent. Uh, For example, think of a guy who decides to publicly post nude photos of his ex-girlfriend as a way to get back at her for breaking up with him. So Erica spends a lot of time thinking about what's probably some of the worst possible invasions of privacy that could ever happen to a person. If digital privacy invasion is on a scale, my experience is on one end and the kind of victims she represents are on the other. I told her about what happened to me on Subway Creatures. What was interesting to me about your story was that you did follow the feed. And I wonder if you could explain why you followed the feed to start and if that changed at all once you yourself were featured on it. I had been turned on to the feed just by a friend and as something to kind of follow as a laugh. And I had turned my sister on to it. And then after this happened to me, I immediately stopped following it. And, you know, as my sister was saying to me afterwards, she was giving me a hard time. She's saying the watcher doesn't like to be watched. (laughs) She put you on the spot. She did, but she was right. I wish that everyone could have that experience without necessarily being the person watched, right? Because we all change our behavior when we think that could be me, then we suddenly shut it down and we feel differently about the idea of following this feed. 
So maybe if more people got caught doing mildly embarrassing things on subway creatures, they'd think twice before consuming this kind of content. So Monica Lewinsky has this really great TED Talk on the price of shame. And my favorite line from this is that the invasions of others is a raw material. It's a raw material, efficiently and ruthlessly mined, packaged, and sold at a profit. A marketplace has emerged where public humiliation is a commodity and shame is an industry. How is the money made? Clicks. The more shame, the more clicks. The more clicks, the more advertising dollars. All of these um, platforms and websites, what they're fighting over is our attention. And if we collectively stopped going to those websites, then it would dry up the supply for them and they wouldn't be able to use our attention as their commodity that they make money off of. And so I think that like when we talk about resistance, like how do we resist this definition of the moment we step out of the house, everything is fair game. We start by averting our eyes. We start by being the ones to not go to those websites. It's worth noting that Rick isn't currently making any money from subway creatures. He's thought about it before and even had some brands approach him, like Adam and Eve, who sell sex toys. But Rick says he's really anti-advertising, and so he's still thinking of ways he could present a message to his followers that wouldn't feel like he's pushing ads at them. So Adam, some powerful words from the lawyer Erica there and some personal lessons for you. Yes. Lesson number one, don't look weird on the subway. (laughs) Noted. And number two, I just it gave me some new empathy for people who you see stuff posted about on the Internet. Uh, There's other accounts in addition to Rick where you see stuff posted from people unsuspectingly. And it gave me a new appreciation of just how creepy that is. You know, did your sister stop following Subway Creatures on Instagram? She did not. She still follows it. But she did tell me something interesting, which is that people are now posting more pictures on there with emojis over people's faces. So adding a touch of uh, privacy to those people who are also being a bit ridiculed. Interesting. So like a proactive measure there. Yes. Just a little pat on the back as they send you into the humiliation world. You know, thinking about this, clearly Kevin Systrom didn't create Instagram so that strangers would laugh at you, Adam, furiously texting on your phone. No, but that's the sort of bigger point here is that these platforms have gotten so big that they take on a life of their own. And what can the companies do to rein that in or if they should even try? Yeah, it it becomes a free for all, right? It, It must mean you have to create at least some rules. Yeah, but like the digital privacy expert Al from Stanford said, we have two questions to answer. Is it the job of the social network to be policing what we post and see online? And also, if it really did happen and other people really did see it in today's digital world, do we really have the right to expect that that material will stay private? In my case, I got kind of lucky because Rick deleted it really fast and now it's gone from the Internet. Uh, But for a lot of people, it's not. So we can't look to the platforms to police. 
on these sorts of things? Well, the question is whether anybody should, right? I think the the image that's taken in a public place may be embarrassing, but is it false? It is a, a footnote in history, if you will. So it's not like it is a fabrication. For this week's episode of Decrypted, thanks for listening. Do you have a story like this where you were affected? Send us an email at decrypted at bloomberg.net. Or you can reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at Satriana. And I'm at Aki Ito7. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, I really do hope you take a minute to leave us a rating and a review. This does so much to get us in front of more listeners. And check out our email newsletter, Fully Charged, where we recreated the video of me on the subway. This episode was produced by Pia Gadkari, Liz Smith, and Magnus Hendrickson. We'll see you next week. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.